0: Key Aero, your aviation destination.
1: Military Aviation
0: Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Air Warrior podcast, bringing you all the news and key talking points from military aviation, from deployments and exercises to attrition and procurement. I'm your host Richard Thomas and this week we're going in-depth on UK's Chinook presence in Mali, analysis of the U.S. FY22 budget and prototype manufacture of the B-21 Raider next-generation bomber in the United States. All of that coming up a little later on in the show. The News This Week Following the announcement by French President Emmanuel Macron that Operation Barkhane will be wound up, the UK Ministry of Defence has said there are no immediate implications for the RAF CH-47 Chinook Force currently supporting France's counterinsurgency mission to Africa's Sahel region. The Sahel region, which encompasses Burkina Faso, Chad, Mali, Mauritania and Niger, has been home to a violent Islamist insurgency for a number of years, with France first sending troops to Mali under Operation Serval in 2013. The following year, Paris extended its remit, creating Operation Barkhane, and currently has around 5,000 personnel based in the region. The UK MOD subsequently told Kiero that there were no immediate implications for UK personnel and platforms contributing to Operation Barkhane, following the French announcement and that the UK was monitoring the situation. Turkmenistan has received the first of an undisclosed number of Leonardo C-27J Spartan next generation tactical transports following its arrival in country on June the 6th. The aircraft departed turin Caselle airport in Italy's Piedmont region for its delivery to the Turkmenistan Air Force. While Leonardo has yet to officially disclose the customer for this aircraft, its arrival in Turkmenistan, effectively confirms the end user. Meanwhile, the second C-27JNG, which made its maiden flight on May the 25th this year, was noted as making another test flight at the Italian airport on June the 5th, a day before the delivery of the first aircraft to Turkmenistan. It is presumed that this aircraft will also be delivered to the same customer. As Leonardo remains tight-lipped about this order, the number of aircraft that will be delivered to the Turkmenistan Air Force has yet to be confirmed. And in attrition news, an Afghan Air Force-operated MI-17 heavy lift tactical transport helicopter crashed during the night of June 8th and 9th in the Jaghatu district of Afghanistan's Maidan Wardak province following a technical malfunction. At least three fatalities were reported as a result of this incident and another member of the personnel on board the helicopter at the time was injured during the crash. The injured man was subsequently transferred to Kabul for further treatment. This attrition case occurred as the helicopter was trying to supply Afghan security forces personnel engaged in conflict. The Taliban have claimed to have shot down the helicopter, as they routinely do when such incidents occur. And that was the news. Let's turn now to Chinooks, Budgets and Raiders. And welcome back onto the show, Kalem Chapman, Modern Military Assistant Editor. Hi, Calum.
1: Hello. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. Thanks a lot. So first up, I suppose congratulations again in being shortlisted uh, in a couple of categories at the Aerospace Media Awards. Unfortunately, yep, the medals went elsewhere on this occasion. There was some tough competition.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I mean it's a remarkable honour to be uh, nominated and at such a young age as well. Um, you know, 23. I've only really just joined the industry and you know I'm loving every minute of it. It's one of those that it's good to be reflected and uh you know it's great to represent key in in the awards um a big hand has to go out to all the uh all the winners you know after last year it was such a volatile year we didn't get the chance to go out to go to trade shows to do things in person and it just goes to show the testament and the resilience of the journalists in this industry to produce as good a work as they have done and it's right that they uh they should have been uh rewarded for it would be the right word but uh uh, or recognised for it is a better word, but uh, yeah, it's a uh, big hand to Peter Bradfield for organising the uh, event, it's always always good despite its virtuality. And also, the judges they put in the hard work to select what I imagine is uh, go through a lot of very good aviation features and, and new stories.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually done some judging myself not for that awards but for a different awards uh, trade show, and it was uh. Yes, always interesting reading um, about the new ideas and the way that people write. Very interesting. And as you say, you know, the, the, the defense journalist cadre, they're, they're, a, they're a rough and tough bunch. So uh, I think they've done pretty good over, over the past 15 months or so. Um, indeed, it's, it's worth noting that Combat Aircraft Journal um, actually won the best magazine cover image with a shot by photographer Jim Hazeltine. I think that's from last October's issue. So anyone that has a copy of that might want to get it framed. You never know. Um, and if we briefly dip into the commercial aerospace sector, uh, Air Internationals Mark Broadbent won Best Rotocraft Submission for his work on UK Helimed sector.
1: And congratulations to the two of them. Um, you know, Hazy's um, F-15C Cadena uh, F-15C uh, flare image was spectacular, so I'm not surprised that I, uh, turned a few heads in the judges' room. Indeed. Right, okay. On
0: Calum, to business. Um, as we just outlined in the the news just now, the UK MOD has said that they're is no immediate impact on the presence of three RAF CH47 Chinooks in Mali, obviously stationed there to assist the French counterinsurgency operation that President Emmanuel Macron has said will be wound up. So, what's your take on that,
1: Macron? Yeah, he announced that um, Barkhane will be wound down uh, earlier this month. However, there's no firm timeline as to you know how long. Barcain's still going to go on for. However, Florence Parley has also added that the operation would be replaced by an international coalition for the Sahel region. I imagine Barkhane will continue until or at least near to that the establishment or the IOC of that um, coalition. So the Chinooks aren't going anywhere anytime soon. I mean, the MOD did tell us earlier this week that the French announcement has no immediate implications for the deployment, but. It's likely that in order to counter the risk of a resurgence in insurgents in the region, hmm. that Bahrain would not be wrapping up, you know, next month sort of thing. It's it's going to be around for you know at least another year, but it's all very dependent on this new coalition and how quickly they can get out to speed and who joins it and who's going to participate. Uh, you know, is, is France still going to be quite a big player in this coalition? <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting um, talking about that replacement coalition that France has placed such an emphasis on there being, you know, a, a significant European presence or contribution to whatever structure that will replace Bahrain. Um It sort of ties into the European Union's efforts through its common security and defense policy to be more of an external actor, particularly in Africa. You know, in Africa, you've got EU training or capability missions in in Mali, uh, Niger, uh, Libya, Central African Republic, and Somalia, of course, um, and naval missions with Irini and Atalanta that are heavily invested in the north and east of the uh, continent. So there, there, there are six civilian and 11 military missions on the continent of Africa. Um, so, yeah, obviously the EU is quite invested in, 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 in what goes on there. What about you know the, the, the performance of, of Chinooks in supporting the French mission? What sort of data have we got on that?
1: Well, um, on just one more quick interjection on the last point. Um, it's interesting to add that uh, last June the MOD actually said that the RAF's deployment, the number 1310 flight uh, under Operation Newcombe, would remain in the Sahel region until 2023. Mm. Um, and from this latest update, it seems that it's going to remain to be that timeline unless France pull out any sooner. But then if they do wind up back in before 2023, then... Mm this timeline could be changed and the Chinooks could come home or their remit could change to support one of the other EU missions or even the UN's peacekeeping mission in the region.
0: I mean, just on that, I I actually asked the MOD that very question as to whether, in the event of the Chinooks no longer being needed for Barkhane, whether they would then support the UN MINUSMA peacekeeping mission in Mali. Um, Again, the MOD wouldn't really be drawn on that, only to say that they are two separate missions, that they're not linked in any way, shape or form. Not that that might change, and these are my own words now. Not that it might not change in the uh, future, but I guess for the time being, we just have to wait and see what happens. Well, of course, the RF has to keep up its own operational tempo in 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 uh, support of uh, Barkane. Yeah, just just on on the on the on the Chinooks. Have we got any data as to what they've actually done in terms of metrics?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, obviously a lot of people will have heard that recently they've just surpassed 3,000 operational flight hours in support of Barkhane, or the RAF call it Newcomb. They've been operating from Gao in Mali, I think that's how you pronounce it, I hope so anyway. But um, they've been operating from there since July 2018 in a non-combat logistical role. Obviously they'll act in self-defense if they need to, but they've been supporting the French counterinsurgency operation largely by conducting large-scale troop and vehicle movement transport sort of operations, resupply, uh, VIP transport and logistical support operations um, to French forward operating bases and remote locations across the desert and Mali, Burkina Faso, and Niger. Obviously, going back to the uh, milestone that the RAF passed earlier this month, the Chinook detachment under number 1310 flight had actually uh, surpassed 3,000 fly hours and that kind of proves that the mission from the RAF's perspective is so far a success and the availability rate of the helicopters in the region is obviously quite high because they don't seem to have many uh, problems with them and they are no doubt exploiting the tactics and operational procedures of operating in hot and high environments in sort of dusty conditions which were refined during the type's time in Afghanistan and the Middle East in the last couple of decades.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Just a couple more figures for you. The three Chinooks, between them, have airlifted more than 1,500 tonnes of freight and 18,000 troops over the past few years. So impressive contribution.
1: Definitely. And uh, that obviously is uh, the Chinooks deploy on a rotational basis with different crews. So that is more than... Just three, um, so just in, just in case anyone gets the lines crossed there. But you know, it's it just goes to show how capable the platform is. From my perspective, I mean, I love the Chinook, so it's hard for any bad words about it to come out of my mouth.
0: No, indeed, and they fly over my uh, my head every every week or so. So it's always nice to hear the uh, unique sound of those those uh, two rotors flying. Good stuff. Okay, moving on. We've got uh, Tom Kaminsky was writing uh, for Combat Aircraft Journal but published on the Key Aero website uh, this week as part of, sorry, last week as you're listening to this, as part of the Digital First Initiative. So Tom was writing about the fiscal year 2022 budget request by US President Joe Biden's administration. I'll just sort of kick it off by drawing on that headline figure. So this request amounted to $715 billion for the US Department of Defense, which is an increase of uh, 1.6%. over the total enacted by the FY21 National Defense Authorization Act. So if you can, I know it's a little bit of a large ask, but can you break that down for us a little bit? What sort of impact might this be for the U.S. aerospace sector in key programs?
1: Yeah, sure. So obviously there's no secret that Biden, uh, President Biden, to be respectful, um, he's openly said that he wants to end the, and I quote, forever wars uh, by investing in more cutting edge capabilities uh, for the U.S. military. In my eyes, that kind of sounds like what the UK is doing with its uh, Defence Command paper and Integrated Review earlier this year, Um, because they're looking more towards cutting-edge capabilities, the future, things that are going to revolutionise the battle space, as it were. But then if you sort of look at legacy platforms, they don't particularly figure because they're not cutting-edge anymore, so their funding goes down. And this could see a further retirement of older Less important capabilities across the U.S. military over the next four years or, or longer, depending on if he gets re-elected. But it, it does strike me as a similar sort of let's let's push funding to the future, which you know everyone sort of does anyway. But it'll be interesting if any what are deemed to be outdated capabilities by the U.S. Air Force are sort of divested as a result.
0: Yeah, a lot of forces are trying to figure out how they restructure their fleets and their assets to meet you know as, as you say the future challenges of tomorrow's battle space, but the zeal that militaries, and particularly program planners and things, have with regards to these next-gen technologies, hypersonics and things like that, I mean, just speaking as a a relative layman, or I suppose a professional, sometimes anyway, Mm -hmm. um, that the idea of what is promised tomorrow isn't necessarily going to be what you need, or certainly isn't what is needed for today's battle space. And there are real-world conflicts going on today that you need. Uh, you need capable platforms for but also you need you need strength in depth you need a built in one of the things that the u.S Navy, not to go on the maritime domain, but one of the things that the US Navy's keen to do is to, is to is to create that quantitative uh, uh, strength with use of smaller platforms with use of unmanned platforms. So how a large question how will the u.s balance what it needs today in the aerospace domain for its own fleet with what it wants to do, Further down the line, with stealth and hypersonics and things like that.
1: Well, there's the ongoing argument about stealth. Um, you know, is electronic warfare the new stealth? Which I'm inclined to believe. Um, however, um, I mean, it's reflected this year in the uh, fiscal year 2022 budget request that procurement is down. Um, procurement isn't the be all and end all, as it were, anymore because the U.S. is obviously feeling you know, we've got the capabilities we need for today, so let's push more funding into the projects of tomorrow mm. and let's maybe cap certain programs that aren't necessarily important from a, an operational perspective or a capability perspective, but more so just from a numbers perspective. And it's the capability in the future that's going to trump numbers, you would expect. However, when it gets to swarming and lower wingman concepts, UAVs that, you know, you can just send into the battle space that are retreatable, then it becomes a numbers game again um, because, you know, if you've got 60 air power teaming systems going up against six F-16s, it's going to be a bit of a task for them. But uh, without digressing too much, I think, you know, capability is important, but oversight of what is needed today is just as important. So, so long as they're smart about it, I guess. But, um, yeah, speaking of these development programs, you know, to jump in with the, the u.s army as as a start their budget request um totals 173 billion which is a decrease from last year but it includes 21.3 billion for b- procurement and 12.8 billion for research development testing evaluation or rdt and e which the latter includes both the Farrah future attack reconnaissance aircraft uh, program and the future long-range assault aircraft uh FLRA, as mm. i enjoy calling it um Projects which you know, they're the next generation, they're going to replace the, the Black Hawks. They're going to be, you know, US Army 2030 is is going to be heavily informed by which platforms win the Farah yeah. Flora uh, project. If you jump across to the development of, of things in the uh, in the air force, for example, you know, they've pumped a, a further 28.8 billion uh, for RDT&E, uh, which accounts for 18% of their budget. And, you know, that $1.5 billion for NGAD, Next Generation Air Dominance, their sixth-gen fighter concept. And uh, the B-21 Raider, uh, which I know we're jumping onto in a little bit, has uh, could get $2.873 billion in the budget uh, because that's what the U.S. Air Force has asked for, uh, to continue funding that program. So there's definitely a reflection in the budget that these research and development projects are uh, taking precedence over procurement and even modernization because there seems to be that priority. Without forgetting the Navy, obviously, with the conclusion of uh, Super Hornet, uh, Poseidon, and uh, the VH-92 acquisition processes in, in FY21, their procurement funding is actually down quite considerably by 15.6%. That is quite a large chunk of their budget, which is you know dropped just because they've concluded free aircraft acquisition programs. And of note, they've paused the MQ-4 Triton purchases to allow for integrated function capability for Sig and systems to be further developed and the us air force has uh, sort of deferred its mh139 uh, gray wolf helicopter funding until fy23 uh, because of faa certification issues which they cite as resultant of the pandemic and the acquisition of a seventh ec37b has also been deferred as the air force develops its baseline force system
0: yeah interesting i mean i guess it sounds like as you say with, with with the the intention to end the forever wars maybe they're buying themselves some breathing room to to to, to really sort of restructure what they're going to be doing uh, in the in the near and midterm future interesting
1: no oh, definitely but that that isn't to mean that they are actively procuring and uh, and actively uh, divesting still um obviously this is just the budget request so you know anything can happen and all these retirements and purchases are just proposed at this stage so yeah for instance, you know, the Army's looking at, although they've prioritized uh, research and development and, and future projects, you know, they're looking to acquire a sixth uh, Arrow 6A intelligence aircraft um, and fund payloads and systems for modification for a seventh. You know, more um, AH-640s will be remanufactured. I believe the number's 30 and six Block 2 MH-47G Chinooks are going to be procured from a Navy standpoint, you know, they're they're still ploughing on with F35 procurement uh, 17 have been uh, requested for the marines uh, F35Bs and 20 F35Cs uh, carrier variant have been requested for the navy along with you know uh, five Hawkeye uh, advanced Hawkeyes and six hercs um, one that stands out for me there though is the 9 CH53Ks obviously uh, the king stallion has has not had the most perfect of development phases it's uh, sort of had a fair few issues but it's nice to see that numbers of that are going up which sort of hopefully marks an end to the the development issues and testing issues they've had with it and then obviously a few more ospreys and uh, 36th73as which are mostly going to be delivered over the next couple of years and the first of which was actually delivered to the air arm uh, earlier this month
0: yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's a shopping list that's the envy of the Western world, I have to say. Uh, moving on, Definitely. last but not least, you mentioned, obviously, the B-21 Raider. Indeed, let's talk about the B-21 Raider. And you've got a pretty interesting update regarding that program for us.
1: Yeah, so obviously, B-21 Raider is probably one of the most anticipated combat aircraft in the next decade to, to be rolled out. I suppose the next generation bomber is starting, you know, the B-2 was the first of that generation. Um, However, the B-2 is now seemingly an age, but, you know, China are looking at rolling out the H-20 in the coming months, years. You know, that's all very speculative from anyone you speak to. And then Russia (laughs) continues to talk about their stealth bomber, um, Pak Da, I believe. But obviously, developed under the long-range strike bomber program, the B-21 is expected to be rolled out early next year, ahead of its first flight in the middle of next year. Um, Its entry into service date is uh, slated for, after 2025. So, you know, in a minute, I think it's approximately 2026, 27 for that. So, yeah, the latest update is that the first two prototypes have been manufactured or have been confirmed to have been manufactured at Air Force Plant 42 in Palmdale, California. This was sort of revealed by uh, Darlene Costello, the Principal Deputy Assistant Secretary for the Air Force's Acquisition Technology and Logistics Office, during a hearing of the House Armed Services Subcommittee on Projection Forces on June 8th. So, you know, she's basically said the two aircraft are ready, um, but they're not really in a position where they can accelerate the programme because, you know, that could mess it up. It was not ever really elaborated on, but she's sort of cautioned against it. Obviously, we all know, from the high amount of coverage it's had over the last year that the B-21 is slated to replace two of the Air Force's three bomber triad, the B-1B and the B-2. This year, 17 B-1Bs are penned for divesting or penned for retirement. Um, The first one was actually divested on February 17th after it arrived at Davis-Monthan in uh, Arizona. But it was also confirmed that the B-2 and Forty-five remaining B-1Bs will remain operational until a sufficient number of B-21s are in service, and when when that happens, obviously those two bombers you know, fall into the annals of U.S. Air Force history, and uh, the Raider fleet would then be augmented by the uh, veteran B-52H bombers, which you know they're set to stay in service until 2050. So I mean that's a feat in itself. But uh, yeah, so going on the uh, current plans for the B-21, the U.S. Air Force is sort of seeking to operate a future fleet of 225 bombers which uh, would include the 76B52s and that means that 149 B21s are actually required to, you know, fill the void as it were but there hasn't been suppose any official announcement on how many raiders are going to be procured under a program of record Um, But the U.S. Air Force has only really said over recent years that at least 100 would be required or produced. Um, Recently, though, however, on um, I believe it was in the same hearing, but Frank Kendall, uh, Biden's pick as the next secretary of the Air Force, basically said that 145 B-21s would be the minimum order uh, required by the Air Force. So it kind of backs the figures up. That, that's that's the route the US Air Force is going to take. Um, the first B-21 prototype, just to top it off, is uh, undergoing an extensive ground test campaign, and that's that's going to take it through to its rollout date, and you know then it's ready for its flight test campaign at Edwards. The second example that's been produced is reportedly going to remain as a ground test vehicle, so that you know. Even when the first one's flying around and sort of expanding its flight envelope and, and going through those developmental tests, that one will stay on the ground and might be used for things like stress testing and stuff like that. But as I said, Edwards is going to be the place where testing or well, initial testing will take place. So all the enthusiasts around there, don't forget to send us your pictures when that happens. And then also announced recently is the fact that Ellsworth Air Force Base, which is currently home to the Lancers, in South Dakota will be the first operational base for the Raider, um, and then Whiteman Air Force Base in Missouri, which is home of the Stealth Bomber, and uh, Dyess Air Force Base in Texas, another Lancer base, will follow suit after Ellsworth. So yeah, the B twenty one very exciting prospect. I think there's the debate as there always is with with military big military programs, especially you know F thirty five is a contender in that one, but does funding you know all the money that goes into producing developing these kind of platforms it will always be debated but i'm looking forward to seeing how this develops it's a shame to see the b2 and the b1b go but it will be yeah a nice sight to behold and you know 147 is a lot more than the 22 that they ended up making with the b2 and uh, it'll be interesting if they uh, well i'm 100% sure there won't be any uh, export potential for the b21 but I'd like to be surprised.
0: Interesting indeed. Thank you very much, Caelan. That was a really good uh, in-depth insight into the B2N on Raider program. We'll have to leave it there for now. Calum Chapman, thank you very much.
1: No problem. Have a good one.
0: For our listeners, if you'd like to learn more about the topics discussed in the podcast, visit the key aero and air international websites. But for now, until next week, thanks for tuning in. This has been a podcast from Key Aero, your aviation destination. Remember, visit www.key.aero for more of the same. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to catch up with you again soon.